We've said before, uh, this morning as we begin, we've said before that in measure, in measure, I mean, and we forget at times, but in measure, we know, we know that God loves us in measure. Right? Because, and that's, we base that upon in John 3.16, for God so loved the, the world, the mass of humanity, that he gave his only begotten son, and whosoever would believe in him, receive him as a savior, obviously. And the fact that first that he perpetuated the father and then became the substitute and reconciler. But uh, even to them that believe on his name. So if you look at John 3.16, he gives us eternal life. And that life is for those that truly believe. That's an amazing thing to understand. It's because when we look at John chapter 1 and verse 10, it says, He, God in humanity, let's think about this, God in humanity came into the world. He entered into this fallen, ruined world system. And that's what we're in right now, by the way. We are in... But we're not of it. Jesus in John 17 and verse 14, he was in the world, but he wasn't of it. We are in the world in John 17 verse 16, but we are not of it either. Now John 1.10 says, he came into the world, now watch, listen to this, and the world what? Knew him not. You know what that means? It, he didn't mean very much to them. <laughs> they were so busy with their own thoughts. They were so busy, the world, with self-occupation in everything that he came into the world and they just didn't know him. We said yesterday too, the majority of the religious world, the religious world, in Mark 3, verse 21, the King James makes it nice. They said he was he's beside himself. Think about this. God and humanity, they looked at him and said he's beside himself. We would say today, that guy's out of his mind. He's crazy. That's what they said. He had his half-brothers and sisters in John 7, verse 5. They were, and we say his half, because there wasn't anything in Christ and his humanity that had a sin nature. That's what made them half. But they did not believe him. Now, Eventually, he had a brother, James, that did. And, and, and I don't think it's the same one that wrote, that the Holy Spirit used to write the book of James. I, I believe it's a to totally different James, but that's not part of our uh, understanding right now. Then John 1.11 says, He came unto his own. Now, let's think about it. First, in John 1.10, He came into the world, and the world knew him not. Didn't know. Didn't think of them. They were too busy, wrapped up in their own lives. You'll see where that started. That started, we've been taught, in Genesis, the fourth chapter, when Cain went out from the presence of God, the reason that he did in Genesis 4 and verse 16, the reason he went out from his presence was because he wanted to give something from his own fallen self. Remember, he took the fruit of the ground, which was cursed, and wanted to offer that. And that was, a, that was his own righteousness that he was offering. It was rejected. Abel offered a much better sacrifice. The book of Hebrews in the 11th chapter goes into that in those first few verses there in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And 
So he came, but I want us to think about it. He, the whole world system in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16, it says that Cain went out from the presence of God. Verse 17 says, and he built the city. That's the whole world system. And that is what is encapsulated in John 1.10. He came in, Jesus Christ, he came into the world, the light of God penetrating into darkness. And the world knew him not. Didn't think on him. They were way too busy thinking on themselves. <laughs> oh boy, help us. Then John 1.11 says he came unto his own. Right? He, was, he came unto his own. He had a human nature. He didn't have a sin nature, but he had a human nature. He could feel pain, rejection, hurt, but without sin, without a sin nature and without sinning. He came unto his own, and the Greek brings it out in John 1.11, and his own rejected him, said no, no, no. We don't care, we don't want you, no. Then John 1.12 says, and but... And then the but there, again, as, we, as we've been taught, is a contrasting conjunction. Here's all these others. Here are these others, too busy thinking on themselves. No room for Christ in their thought life. <laughs> then he came unto his own people, family. And they, and they rejected him. But separated from all of that, it says, separated from all of that, but as many as would receive him. Ooh, boy. And when we do, and that's just our salvation, yes. To them, he gave the right, the authority, the power to become the sons of God. Even to them, it says, that would believe, and believing is submitting and receiving too. It, it is not just a declarative knowledge. And then we throw it away and then just go on our, our merry way. In John 1, 12, it's not saying that. They came unto, <clears throat> he, but as many as would receive him, to them he gave the power, the right authority to become the sons of God, even to them that would believe on his name, meaning their occupation and their object would be the person of Christ and what he's accomplished. That's their whole thought process. And when that is not our thought process, because we have to remember that we've been given eternal life in 1 John 5.11. We've been given eternal life. And that life is Christ in Colossians 3 and verse 4. For Christ who is our life, when he appears, we will also appear with him. And when he appears, does he appear in all his glory? Yes. And do we appear in glory that he's made us as a result of him, his glory? Do we appear with him? And we do. And we do. And when he's not my object, when Jesus Christ is not my object, I'm just, and, and Christians, Christians, when Christ isn't my present object, I'm just like the world. I live just like the world. We said this before. We've said before that the flesh, what's the difference between the flesh that's in us that we're not of? What's the difference between my flesh and the world system, those that live in the world that are unsaved? Is there, is there any kind of a difference? None whatsoever. He will have no room in our thoughts. We will be so busy because the whole world system, literally the whole world system is geared by Satan. When we read in James 2, 
and verse 19, it says, even the demons believe and tremble. Let's think about that. They believe, they know what the truth is, and they tremble. They're, they're horrified. They're in great fear. Furthermore, it even says in Revelation 12 and verse 12, by the time that Satan knows that it's coming close to his time where he's going to be dealt with and be first he's going to be locked up in Tartarus, as we've as, as the Bible brings out, that'll happen in Revelation 20, verses 2 and 3. He's going to be shut up for a thousand years. Then he's going to be loosed again after that. But Revelation 12, 12 says, he knows that he has but a short time. Do you know what that, when you study it, you know what it means? That even those that served him in his evil plans, he even turns on them. He's so fearful and angry. The whole world system runs is designed by fear. It's just fear. The whole world system. We know in 2 Timothy 1.7 that God has not given us the spirit of fear. He has not given us the spirit of fear. But of what? Power. Remember what John 1.12 says? But to them that what? Received him. To them he gave what? The power to become the sons of God. Instantly we submit to him. Instantly with our whole heart. He's our object. He gives us power. And that power in 2 Timothy 1.7 God has not given us a spirit of fear. But separated from that because it's not who we are and that's all we are in the flesh by the way. And, and he's not treating us after that. Furthermore, he's, he, he, doesn't, he does not treat us after our own failures. He doesn't treat us in, in the failings and the failure of our flesh life and our thought life. He doesn't. He treats us according to who he's made us to be in the Son of his love. And Colossians 1 verse 12 said, He has made us meet, and that means qualified us, to be sons that walk in the light. And that's walking in who we are in Christ. And because he's delivered us and he's transliterated us in Colossians 1 verse 13, he's transliterated us from the kingdom of darkness. How does the kingdom of darkness function? Fear. That's it. Fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear. No. Mm -mm. But of power. And when I function in power, what, what's, what do I experience? Love. And when I function in love, what now what do I have? A well-disciplined mind. I know how to think properly. I know how to think properly. My circumstances and my situations and details are not my guide. And no thought other than Christ is to be our guide. I wonder it says in Psalm 48 and verse 14, He's our guide unto, the, unto death. And we said the other day, with that, understanding Psalm 48 and verse 14, and understanding in Romans 6, 9, he that dies once dies no more. Death only is the entrance into eternity. Because in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1, the day of one's death, those that are in Christ, is greater than the day of our birth because we were born with a sin nature. But when we go into eternity, do we have that? No. No. And he's training us now. We said it yesterday, too. We did. 
Average lifespan in Psalm 90 verse 10 is between 70 and 80 years. Average. Some way less, some way more. But average is between 70 and 80. Then it says, we are soon cut off and we fly away. Ecclesiastes 12, 6 and 7 makes it very clear that the silver, uh, the silver bowl is broken, the cord, and it talks about the gold and the silver, and that's us, redeemed ones. When our physical body is separated from our spirit and our soul, we return to God. And instantly in his presence. <laughs> but for now, for now, what are we doing? What are we learning? We're learning who? We're learning who Christ is in us and who we are in him. And every single circumstance and situation becomes the opportunity for that revelation. We've said before that faith, the things of faith, when things get the toughest and the hardest, that's the greatest opportunity for faith. It's the greatest opportunity. It is by far the greatest opportunity. What seemed like the worst for Jesus Christ, his six different trials, we went into that recently, we'll go into it again. Do you know that Jesus Christ had six different trials? Six. Then he was in the garden prior to the cross, and in Luke twenty-two forty-four, he was sweating with such intense pressure, the atmosphere so intense on him, to try and do away with him before he literally just tried to kill him, that he sweat drops of blood. Out of his pores was coming blood. Then on the cross, you just think of every single thing that he, he actually went through for us, for us. And that any suffering, we brought this up yesterday also, that any suffering that we go through, any suffering that we go through, any of it, any of it, righteously is the, is the greatest privilege and is the greatest height of an intimacy of fellowship with Christ. Did you know that? That's why Paul said in Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know him. Now, it's very interesting when he said that in Philippians 3 verse 9, he said, I want to be found in him. Don't you want to find out who you are in him? Don't you and I want to think his thoughts towards who we are? Don't we want to think the thoughts about who he says he is and what he's doing and where he's leading us presently? Don't we want that? That's what he was saying. I don't want to be found right, in my own righteousness because that's our thought life. Everything, we determine everything to be right and, and, we'll, and it will be just right when we think everything is just right the way that we want it. And the Bible calls that in Isaiah 64 and verse 6. It's called fil it's filthy rags, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. But he said in Philippians uh, 3 and verse 9, I, I, I want to be found in him. And when we find out who he is, when do, where is the place that we find him? Where was Paul when God the Holy Spirit had him write that? Where was he? He was chained to a Roman guard. And that became the greatest opportunity. Locked up, all alone. We said this before. The believer never has to be lonely. Loneliness is based upon a lie. 
that the enemy wants to cause us to be depressed, so pressed into self that there's no room for Jesus Christ in our thinking. No room whatsoever. And he said, I don't want to be, I want to be found in him, not having my own righteousness. But then he said, I want to know him. Where was the place that he wanted to know him? Did you know? Do you think about, about how God used this man? He was approximately 35 years of age in Acts, the ninth chapter, when he received Christ as his Savior. And 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 3 brings it out clearly. He received him immediately. And in Acts 9, verse 6, and when he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? You don't call him Lord except by the Holy Spirit. It reveals he, and based upon 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Instantly he was born again. Then he went into the deserts to be along with Christ for three years in Galatians 1 and verse 18. To be alone with him. Believer never has to be lonely. Loneliness is a result of self-righteous thinking. Everything is about self. No room for Christ. And that's called depression. And that is God has not given us the spirit of fear. Because I'll tell you, that's what depression is. It's fear, and I don't want it anymore. And a lot of times the enemy says, here, here's the way out. Here's the drug. Here's the alcohol. Here's the preferred sex. Or here's the suicide. Here's the way out. Here's the way out of it. Christian, to a Christian, saying those things. But Paul said, I want to know him. When? When did he know him? He was used mightily by Christ, used mightily by Christ. In 1 Corinthians 15, 9 and 10, it was all grace. It had nothing to do with himself except his will being submitted so Christ could flow through him and be the treasure in him intimately that would pour out to others in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 and Colossians 2 and verse 3. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, we have this treasure in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the what? What? The power may be of God and not of ourselves. Not of ourselves. Oh, the power that Christ is. The power that the position that we've been placed in and the power that we have and is ours readily in our experience. But do we submit? Do we quickly come to him? Do we deal with things quickly? And that's the issue. Paul's in prison. He goes on three major missionary journeys. You can see that all through the book of Acts. Traveling those Roman roads. And look at some of the things that that man had to go through. Think of it. And it was all, it was all a privilege. As bad as it would seem naturally. I want us to see this in 1 Corinthians and we will look at this here. And I believe it's 2 Corinthians, in which it is. It's 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. I'm going to read these verses to you. This is him prior to being chained to a Roman guard. I want you, I want you to listen to this. This is 2 Corinthians uh, 11, the 11th chapter. And just, who did God choose to reveal all this to give to us? This man. Watch. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Are they ministers of Christ? You know, he's speaking sarcastically here, the Holy Spirit. He said, I speak as a fool. 
I more and labors more abundantly in stripes above measure, Roman cat and nine tail, in prisons more frequent, in deaths often. Of the Jews, five times I received 39 stripes. They stopped at 40 because that anything longer would, could, could potentially end in death. Five times. Three times was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. Three times I suffered ship, shipwreck. A night and day have I been in the deep of the ocean. In journeyings often in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen. And in Romans the ninth chapter and those first three verses. And Romans the tenth chapter and those first three verses reveal his heart towards those countrymen that hated him. In perils by heathens unsaved, in perils in the city, the wilderness, and the sea, among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides all those things that are without happening to me as a man. Oh boy, unbelievable. Besides all of those things. That which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches, all those people, all those individuals that made up the church came upon him. Then he was chained to a Roman guard. And he's all alone in a dungeon, chained to a Roman guard. And that's when he said, I don't want to be found in my own righteousness. I don't want to be. I want to be found in Christ, not my own righteousness. Nope. I want to know him. Philippians 3.10 and the power of his resurrection. And that's great heights. But for great heights to be established, not only in time, but for all eternity in us, in terms of our fellowship with Christ, in Revelations 2 and verse 17, what he's teaching is this. And what? The sufferings of his fellowship. I want the power of your resurrection. I don't want the sufferings. I don't want the sufferings. Of, your, of that type of fellowship. I, I'd rather have the other. But he wanted it because, because Christ had brought him to that place. Just think about everything. Then think about every single thing that our Lord went through. One of these times we're going to go into it. What happened to Jesus in his sufferings and what he did and never even opened his mouth. That's Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He never opened his mouth. He never blamed a single person to be in the place of what they were doing and should have been responsible and accountable for. He never even opened his mouth one time. This is our Savior. You know, he was the only one born to die. He was absolutely formed in the womb of that 14-year-old peasant girl in Luke one thirty-five, where men from far away, others that were close weren't interested, but men from far away were led by God to give him and present gifts to him. That's how much they meant. And just think of the six different trials and the things that he went through. Did you? We read what happened to Paul in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, starting in verse 23. We read that. What Christ went through, it's unimaginable. I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know the depths of what he went to. We said this also yesterday too, 
read it by a, a certain man of God, and I know it's so true about myself. This man that was used mightily by God with preaching and teaching, mightily by God, used mightily, said, every single day I have to get before my Lord and confess my sins. So I do it every single day. And yet he said, what is in me, in my flesh, is even far more evil and vile than whatever I would confess about my sins. My God. And talk about just being, we are so loved and being so convicted. But when it comes to suffering, we need to understand that. We need to understand what a privilege to do it righteously because we can do it the wrong way. You know, the wrong way is, right? It's self. It's sin. You know, and there's two things that we can hide in. We can hide in who we are in Christ experientially or we hide in sin. That's what we do. And thank God that we, don't, we have this opportunity that we have in every single circumstance. Every single circumstance that we have, we have that with him. And it's amazing to understand. How about, how about this? This is in First Peter chapter 3. First Peter 3. You should watch how that flows. Yeah. We all have these, don't we, in our home, don't we? <laughs> we all have them, don't we? Yeah. Right? All of us do. And, I'm, and I should do it way more than I do. And, and just me and my own personal life. But here, watch the flow of First Peter 3 verse 1. Watch how it flows. Watch how it all flows. But now look at this. Look at this in verse 12. Well, look at verse 11. It says, let him eschew, do away with the evil. And you know where evil starts. Where does evil start in us? Where does it start in our minds? Thoughts that aren't from God. Thoughts that don't have a single thing to do with Christ. Who he is and what he's accomplished on our behalf, where he's leading us to with us for an eternal meeting face-to-face in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. This is what it says. Let him eschew evil in 1 Peter 3, 11, and do good. Now, doing good means just simply submitting to him who does the good through us, and that's based upon Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, the submission of our will. And let him seek peace. Thoughts we have, are they peace? We brought that, that was brought out yesterday. Thoughts of peace. We have a Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God will what? Will garrison you. And the peace of God will encircle you in no matter what circumstance or situation you are in. And if you don't believe that, why don't we all read Daniel 3, 17 to 25, the three Hebrew boys cast into the furnace, which was heated up seven times hotter. And it didn't do a thing to them because they had faith. They said, if we perish, we perish, God. If we perish, we perish, but we're not going by your thought and going to worship you. We're going by what God says. We're going to go by what he says. Here's First Peter 3, verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. Again, this is Job 36 and verse 7. Never removes his eye from the righteous. 1 Corinthians 1.30, Christ is our righteousness. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. <coughs> and listen to this, and his ears are open unto their prayers. We said it again yesterday. 
We said it again yesterday. Who is the topic of our conversation when I'm with another believer? Is it me and all my troubles and everything I'm going through? Is that fellowship? No, fellowship has to do with an exchange of Christ with each other. That's it. That's what fellowship is. There's prayer. We need to pray for one another, yes. But who's still the object in when we pray? Do we make our troubles, all our sufferings and all this, are they are to be our object? Because if they do become that, instead of the means to have a depth of fellowship with Christ, then it's just about self. Here it is. His ears are open unto their prayers. Something hard? Do you need victory? Is it a terrible person? Who do you should, what should you do immediately? What should I do immediately? Go right to him. Because in Psalm 62 verse 5, and here's what God is teaching us. Do you want to experience love? Do you want to experience God? Do you want to, and I, want to experience him in a greater degree? It's called this. Huh? What is it called? What is love? It's patient. That's right. And love suffers long. Right? Love suffers long. That means he's increasing our capacity for a greater depth of fellowship and not only to have that experientially for ourselves, but to be a supply for others. Instead of having them follow me with all my troubles, they get to see Christ. They get to see Christ. His ears are open unto their prayers. Psalm 62, 5. My soul, what? Wait you upon God. You know the word wait there synonymous with the word trust? You know what that's synonymous with? Worship. Because God created me to worship and I'm either going to worship self under the influence of the enemy or I'm going to worship Christ and join him in worshiping God, which we ultimately will all be doing for all eternity. With him, I'll, our precious bridegroom leading us in that worship and that's psalm 22 22 in hebrews chapter 2 and verse 12 it's brought out very clearly in the scriptures my soul waits you upon the lord for from him comes my what my expectation what good is it to go to some instead of praying Telling someone all my troubles and all this negativity, is that, are they going to meet my expectation? Am I going to do it? No. My soul wait you upon the Lord, for from him comes my expectation. Now Psalm 62 verse 8. Trust in him. When? At all times. Listen to this. Boy, and I need to hear it and we all need to hear it. Pour out your hearts to him. Husbands, pour out your troubles. Pour it all out to Jesus Christ, not your wife. Pour it out. Men, single men, single women, pour it out to Christ. Trust in him at all times. If I do, then I will pour it out to him. Because who's the, who's the answer? Who's the supply? Who's our everything? Who's our object? Because if not, then you live 
and I would live in a constant state of being oppressed in Psalm 62 and verse 10. That means so overwhelmingly occupied with myself and all of its selfishness, you get depressed. Who wouldn't? The greatest, the greatest place of depression and oppression it can be found in each of us outside of Christ. It's called the flesh. There's nothing worse than that. Nothing worse than that, I can tell you. This is 1 Peter 3. And I'm going to read verse 12 again. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. He sees what we watch. He sees where we go. And then his ears are open unto their prayers. His ears are open to everything. By the way, Job 42.2, Psalm 139, verse 2. He knows our thought from afar off. Yep, he does. Counts all our steps in Job 31 and verse 4. They're all ordained of him in Christ properly in Psalm 37 and verse 23. There's no question about that. But then it says this, but the face of the Lord, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, is he against who we are in Christ? Nope, no. Thank God, right? He will lovingly discipline us. Yes, lovingly, but he will. And then verse 13 says, And who is he that will harm you? God, who are we making the object? Is it this circumstance, that circumstance? Is it this person or that person? Do they become the ones that we worship? They, do they overwhelm our thought life? To the exclusion of Christ himself who's left us all alone in this terrible situation. <laughs> who is he that will harm you if Christ is in you? And he is. If you be followers of that which is good. Here's verse 14. But if you suffer for righteousness' sake. Second Timothy 2 and verse 12. If you suffer with me, you will what? Reign with me. We asked this question yesterday. When? Eternity? No. Right away. If you suffer with me properly, if everything about your life is my son and not the selfish flesh, if you suffer with me righteously, you will reign with me. Was Paul reigning chained to a Roman guard? Was he reigning in Christ? When he was all alone? Was he all alone? Let me ask you a question. Are you all alone if Christ is in you? No. But when we're lonely, the reason we're lonely is because Christ is not our proper object and our only object. Now I need something or someone else to replace him. And he's irreplaceable. But if you suffer for righteousness sake, in 1 Peter 3 and verse 14, happy are you and be not afraid of their terror. Whatever they're doing to you, whatever it is. Be not afraid of their terror, and neither be troubled. Why? Because what keeps trouble out in Philippians 4 and verse 7? It's John 14, verse 1. Eh? John 14 and verse 1. Let me, let me read those, and I will show you also 1427 of John and 1633 of John. And here it is. Here, here it is. This is Jesus talking to his disciples, earthly disciples. We have way more 
way more in understanding than they ever had. Let not your heart, what is your heart? Your mind. Let not your mind be troubled. Cast down those imaginations. We brought that out yesterday. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. This is Jesus. Well, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't wouldn't have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. You know what he's doing right now? He's preparing a place for us. That place is an intimate depth of fellowship for us. That sufferings bring the greatest depth of the intimacy of his love shared. Because they're apportioned to us, Colossians 1 and verse 24, and in 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse 3. They're all apportioned and weighed by God. And there's no temptation that is not common to even unsaved people that God won't give us because we're in Christ a way out so that we can bear up manfully, it says. That's 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13. But here we are. In in John 14, verse 2, as we begin to close, In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. Who can believe what he's talking about here, by the way? I go to prepare a place for you. For you. And, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Is there anywhere, any circumstance, a situation, where we are, where he's not with us? When we don't have him interceding for us, when we don't have the Holy Spirit in us interceding for us, when we don't have a place for the Word to have teaching constantly. And by the way, as much as we want or as little as we want, as much as we know we need or as little as we think we need. Terrible, terrible, terrible. Next time you prepare a meal and you invite all your guests, and you, and you labor and you prepare that meal and then you, you invite you, the, those people and then two people show. <laughs> how, do, how, would you, how you doing? You're thankful for the two. But a lot of empty seats for a lot of different reasons. That where I am, there you may be also and where I go, where I go, you know, and the way that you know. Here is 1426. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom I will send in my Father's name, he will teach you all things. In every circumstance and situation, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance. Whatsoever I said unto you, verse 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world gives. Give I unto you, let not your heart, your mind be troubled, neither be afraid. See, trouble, peace, being afraid. And then 16.33. These things, in John 16.33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have what? Peace, peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Yeah. Why do you think it's so strange? All oh, this hard stuff. Why is this hard? Well, first Peter four twelve. It's your opportunity, my opportunity. Why do you think it's strange when the fiery trial comes to try your absolute dependence on Christ to purify it? Amazing. These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. And who? Proper object, Jesus Christ. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. I have already 
overcome this whole world system. Again, I'm just going to close here in First Peter. In First Peter 3, I'm going to read it again in verse 14. But, and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are you. <laughs> the right kind of suffering. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify something only the individual can do with Christ. But sanctify the Lord in your heart. Set, have, have him set apart. And when he's set apart in your heart, in your mind, and you're in him, this is what happens. Then you're always ready to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. But it's to be done with meekness and reverence for Christ. Having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good, good citizenship, the good life that you reveal in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. And this is a whole thought life. This is the whole thought life. Again, this is brought out in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 6. This is brought out again in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verses 10 to verse 17, when are Christians, when are we going to grow up and understand we are in the world, but not of it? Okay, we're in it, not of it. We're in a spiritual battle. You know, unsaved people, they were born into a spiritual battle. We're born once we receive Christ. We're born in Christ. We have this provision, incredible provision, incredible for it is better in verse 17 if the will of god be so that you suffer for well-doing that's right than for evil doing for christ also has once suffered for sins <laughs> i don't know was he ever rejected hated abused <laughs> hmm. read isaiah 50 verse 6 isaiah 52 and verse 14 read what happened to him and the 26th and 27th chapters of Matthew and in the synoptics and what he went through and what little he has us to go through, which gives us a great eternal reward. A great eternal reward. Well, for Christ also has once suffered for sins. Now, I want us to see this. The just for the unjust. Who does that person think they are to treat me this way? I don't know who was Christ when they treated him that way. Who was he? Did he open his mouth? Didn't open his mouth. Isaiah 53, 7, John 19, verse 9. Never opened his mouth, ever. Never blamed a person for a thing. Never, ever did anyone ever become the excuse for him not to operate in the mind of God ever one time. And we don't have it either. Because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power. And Christ is the power. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5, we are kept by the power of God. And when we're kept by the power of God, we have love. We experience love. And when we experience love, now we have joy. Because that peace that we have, the peace that he is, in Ephesians 2 and verse 14, is, <clears throat> is a settled peace. It's a settled, settled peace. 
And Father, we thank you so much, Father, this morning. The way we want to bring it out, and I do know that you want to uh, uh, tomorrow, if you, if you so will, to do so. And give us the opportunity to come once again. Give us a great opportunity when we can. Behold the Lamb of God and everything that He is. Everything He did for us is so amazing. <clears throat> so incredible. Behold the Lamb of God, our proper object, our only true object, our only righteous object, the one that's done all of this for us. Behold the Lamb of God. And we recently had that too. Thank you, Father, so much for your precious love for us, for everything that you are, everything that you've done, everything. And you, you are just waiting in the process of growth of your plan in us for us to be with you. Boy, and if we want to be with him, how much more does he want us with him? And it's soon. And Father, thank you so much for your precious word and everything that you are to us and everything that you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.